I want to encourage you to, to speak with uh, Josh and Sasha and anyone else who is there that you know who might be able to kind of explain a little bit about their journey, their, their, their testimony, and maybe, um, yeah, to, to, to shed some light on, on where you are as well uh, if you are not able to make it. Um, our speaker today is Reverend Sabrina Chan. Uh, she's going to come and share the Word of God with us. She's here with her family who just joined uh, Kevin and their two lovely children who are five and three. Are they in here? Okay, I'm not, okay cool, awesome. Uh, they're here. Uh, Sabrina lives in North Carolina. Uh, she grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and then she went to Rice University in Texas and did her education there and uh, worked as an engineer before uh, entering into the ministry to work with college students at Rice and then at UT Austin. And then the Lord moved her out to San Francisco. Uh, where she was uh, serving in, in, in different capacities in ministry there. Uh, presently, she serves as the National Director for Asian American Ministries for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. So all of the Asian American involved ministries, she's overseeing those things and doing a phenomenal uh, ministry. Um, she ministered deeply uh, to many of us this weekend through uh, the conference and the theme about the God who sees us uh, when we feel like we're invisible or we feel like we're unseen or or overlooked. Um, one of the cool things, there, there are several things that Sabrina loves to do, and, and you can read that on any bio. She loves uh, hiking, walking in the woods. Uh, she loves doing that. She also loves drinking tea uh, with her pinky out. She loves drinking tea, and she also loves riding bicycles. That's awesome. But what you may not know from her bio is that she's also a rider of unicycles, right? That's pretty amazing, right? Crazy, she rides unicycles. Um, what's even crazier is that her husband, Kevin, rides unicycles, and he plays basketball while he rides unicycles. Olivia and I have gone on many dates, but we have never done unicycling together, uh, but Sabrina and her husband. Even crazier is that their five- and three-year-old children are unicycling. I'm just kidding, but... <laughs> They one day may be groomed to be. Uh, but Sabrina has, um, that, the Lord God has gifted her with a wonderful gift to be able to speak into the hearts of, of our people. And at our morning service, uh, Alpha service today, we were really uh, inspired to feast on the Word of God as she was sharing that with us. So can we give a warm harvest unlock? Anyone welcome to Sabrina Chan as she comes to share with us. Good morning. I just want to say thanks. Oh, that's awesome. That's good. Say thanks to Pastor DL and Danny Chen for inviting me to come preach at Unlock this week, and it's been a joy. And um, in my role as national director, one of the things that I love the most is getting to, to be in different spaces, to meet with students, to meet with young people, Asian Americans, um, and especially actually to connect with Asian American churches. Um, I do believe that in this season, God is inviting InterVarsity's Asian American ministries to um, connect more deeply with Asian and Asian American churches. Um, and along with that, um, to also engage not just sort of the umbrella of Asian or Asian American, but to press more deeply into our specific ethnicities, our unique stories um, in our ethnicities or as multiracials or as adoptees. And that's something that we're also doing. And I think that's also partly where the church partnership plays in as well. I think that's really significant. So um, 
actually this past fall, um, there was a gathering for a few Korean American staff, university staff, Korean American staff. Actually, Jane got to Jane, who was helping lead worship, got to be a part of that gathering, um, and it was a smaller gathering for them to try and press into what does it mean to be Korean American ministers in university, and what does it look like to activate Korean American students towards revival. And so we're just pressing into. So we've had these kinds of gatherings for other communities as well. So just. Um, yeah, just really treasure the opportunities to be here and encourage the body of Christ um, together. So yeah, my family's here. Actually, I want to also honor my parents are here. Um, yeah, so they're right. That there's dads waving. Um, we're we're taking the quick opportunity to go to Legoland tomorrow. So I invited my parents to come too, which is really fun. Um, so yeah, so it's a privilege to be here this morning, and for, for those of us who've been at Unlocked, um, we were unpacking the story of Hagar out of Genesis 16 and Genesis 21, talking about the God who sees us um, in, our, um, in our need, in our invisibility, in our outsiderness, right? Hagar was an outsider, and she gets to name God as the God who sees me. And we also talked last night a bit about Sarah and Abraham and how they didn't see Hagar, um, and what are the things that kept them from seeing? Um, and this morning, we're going to switch to the New Testament. We're going to switch to um, Mark. Um, I call this message Abundant Life and Lunch with Jesus. So it's out of Mark chapter 6. Um, it'll be on the screen here in a minute after um, I set it up. But um, just to help our folks from Unlocked um, know, like, um, today's message focuses more on what does it look like to walk with Jesus um, after being, at knowing you're seen, um, wanting to see others, how does that continue to look, and how do we see that in the Gospel of Mark, and, and how did Jesus bring that to us? So there's also a little outline there in your bulletin if you want to if you want to use that to take notes. But um, yeah, the story of the feeding. This is the story of the feeding of the five thousand. So this has been a significant passage for me um, as a college student, as an engineer, as I came on staff, um, as I served at my church. And even coming on to this director role of, uh, as a national director. So I love getting to preach about this because it's, it's a passage that um, has really spoken to me. So we'll just, we'll just uh, share a little bit for you about what, I'm, uh, it may be a familiar story for you, but I want to set up a little bit of what's happened ahead of this. So Jesus has been teaching a lot, right? Giving people a hint of the kingdom, God's kingdom, um, the family, the inheritance, if you will, for those of us who are at Unlocked. An upside-down kingdom in some ways, where the first shall be last, the last are first, where the shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one sheep. And just before this in Mark, Jesus sends out the disciples to go teach, to heal, to basically imitate Jesus, do what Jesus has been doing. And so they do, and they go out, and it's a great experience, and they really, um, they really like, get to see God do a lot of things as they teach and heal. Um, but then Mark inserts this story right before this about um, how um, John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin and who like paved the way for Jesus and even baptized him in the Jordan River, how John the Baptist dies. And John the Baptist dies because he is called by God to speak truth to King Herod. And King Herod doesn't like that, and he has him executed. So you imagine if you were a disciple coming home from a short-term mission trip, perhaps, and you hear about this thing that's happened to John the Baptist, um, I think they might be wanting to, like, debrief, right? Like, here's some great things that happened, but also, oh my goodness, like, we, you know, we're, we already left our jobs to follow Jesus, and now Cousin John has lost his life, 
right? So they are starting to realize maybe the gravity of the whole thing, like the seriousness, and that, that maybe there are some costs to following Jesus. So they've already paid the cost of, say, um, leaving their job, but now they're, they're recognizing more cost. Um, so that's the backdrop for us here as we um, look at the passage. So it, it'll be on the screen, but you can also just listen. Sometimes it's nice to just close your eyes and listen if that would be helpful to you. But I'll read it for us. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now very late. Send them away, so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. They said to him, Are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves have you? Go and see. When they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he ordered them to get all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them all. And all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Those who had eaten the loaves numbered five thousand men. So a few things, right? Jesus invites them to come away to a deserted place. They were telling him all about everything they had done and taught. He's like, come away to a deserted place and rest a while. Jesus is inviting them to like a retreat or a weekend off or like a little bit of vacation, right? Maybe they're picturing like, oh, we're going to debrief. We're going to tell Jesus like all the highlight reel, you know, like, and then this happened and then this happened. Maybe we'll get to take a nap. Like, because that would be nice. I don't know if y'all have ever been on a short-term mission trip, but if you haven't, just imagine that it's, like, after exams or after finals, like a really busy season at work. And you're just like, okay, I just, this weekend, I'm not going to make any plans. I'm just going to chill. Um, that's probably what they're, they're looking for. Um, but then the text tells us, um, well, because all this time they had been coming and going and they couldn't even eat. I don't know if it's ever been like that for you when you're serving or busy. You're going to host people at your house or throw a party or something. You're, like, you're running around getting ready, and inevitably, at least for me, like, oh, I forgot this, this, and this. And so it's like, oh, man, I'm busy cooking, but I don't even have time to eat. That's where they've been on this short-term mission trip. Um, so they go to a deserted place in a boat. But what happens is the people that Jesus had been teaching, um, and he's, like, drawn a lot of attention. They, they realize, oh, they're going up. So they, like, run all the way around and, like, well, maybe not all of them run, but they, they get there too, and they want to keep listening to Jesus. Um, so Jesus has compassion on them, and it says, the text says, they, he teaches them many things. And so they're teaching, and, and, and it's like what he's been doing before, maybe telling parables, um, inviting the people to know more about God. And the disciples, they come to Jesus, and they say, hey, it's getting late. It's getting late. How about you stop teaching and send them away to make sure they get food, right? So, I mean, it could be, 
that some of them want to have their debrief time with Jesus. I'm like, that's a good excuse. But I also think, you know, the disciples have just been teaching a lot of people and, and hopefully they, they are growing to love them as well. They're, they're they could actually be actually trying to serve them. They're in a deserted place, right, the text says. So there's not like McDonald's or a grocery store. Like it's deserted. So there's like no food. And so they're really trying to like maybe generally like, well, we should, we should send the people so that they can get food. Um, instead, Jesus asks the disciples to feed the people, right, and to serve the people. So maybe picture yourself as one of the disciples. The, the text tells us that there are 5,000 men in the group. So scholars think that adding women and children is probably about 20,000 people. Um, so the, actually that conference that uh, Pastor DL mentioned, Urbana, I was at that same Urbana, Urbana 96, um, it, it usually has about 20,000 people. So you might imagine like a basketball arena, um, like full of people. And so imagine you're one of the 12 disciples, and Jesus is there, and maybe like y'all are down at center court, and you're looking around, and Jesus is like, you feed them. You give them to something to eat. How would you feel? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, that's for sure. I hear that. Thank you. That's good. Um, yeah, like, what? So I'm not surprised that they answer with, a, like, maybe, like, just a little bit of sarcasm, right? So one of them says, like, are you crazy? Like, well, maybe they don't say, are you crazy? But they said it would, it would take 200 denarii. So a denarii is like a day's wages, like a full day's pay. So they're like, it'd take more than six months' pay to like feed all these people. Plus there's like nowhere to get the food, right? Um, and yeah, so they're just like, sort of like, this is crazy. Um, and so then Jesus just, he doesn't really, he just, his response is just to say, well, what do you have, right? Like, how many loaves have you? And they kind of, like, look around and, like, well, we have five loaves and two fish. Um, the Gospel of John tells us, actually, that, that there was a boy that had brought his lunch. I don't know if he packed it or his mom and dad packed it, but he has brought his lunch that day, and the boy gives the lunch to the disciples. Um, so that's where the five loaves and two fish come from. Um, so the very next thing the text says is that Jesus tells them to go sit people down in groups, of like hundreds and fifties. He says, take the people, sit them down in groups of hundreds and fifties. So, you know, I'm sure the um, disciples have a degree in crowd control and a lot of experience. No, actually, I have no idea. But they go. They go do it. They're like, can you imagine, like, um, taking the groups and saying, like, so maybe it's like a group like this, like one group here and one group here, and, and folks are sitting down. And can you imagine for the crowd what they might be thinking? Like, oh, well, something's certainly going to happen. Like, I don't know, I am hungry. Maybe there's going to be, like, the teacher's asking us to sit down, so maybe there's going to be food, right? They actually sat down to eat a lot in this culture, like, on the ground. Um, so at this point, if I were a disciple, I'd probably be a little worried. Like, okay, now all these people are expecting something. I happen to know that back in the middle, we have five loaves and two fish. That's not going to go very far, and we might have a riot on our hands, you know? Like, these people are starting to expect something. But if you can imagine, um, maybe back sort of in the middle, uh, Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish. He looks up to heaven and blesses it and breaks the loaves and gives it to the disciples. So go with me a little bit here, just imagining, say, if, um, say if Jesus is right here with the loaves and the fish, and the disciples are kind of lining up, like 12 disciples, right, lining up to get food for their section, right? And they know 
because they told Jesus, we got five loaves and two fish, right? So, okay, Jesus breaks the loaves. That, that might mean half a loaf for the first 10 people, like first 10 disciples, right? And then there's two fish, but like really, what is going to happen? Like, is there going to be enough for, um, for this group? And I, I just imagine the tension they might have felt, right? Like, okay, I'm going to walk up and take the, take the food that we have, but like, like then what, right? And I don't know how the miracle exactly worked. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, it doesn't tell us. Someday in heaven, maybe we get to, get to find out. But maybe, you know, in that moment right there at the front, Jesus multiplies the food. Maybe it's they're walking back towards their, their groups of 50s and 100s. Um, but they, there is enough, right? They, maybe at some point the disciples start to realize, oh, there might be enough, right? The food, that there's a miracle happening here. And then maybe they, feed, they give the food to their first group of 50, and then they need to go back to Jesus to get some more for the next group of 50 or 100. Uh, they realize, they start to realize, oh, what, what, what little we had, Jesus is turning into something big enough for this group. Right, um, so the the disciples get to see the multiplication of the offering. So Jesus multiplies the offering, and that's the second point. The disciples get to see the multiplication of the offering. Um, for us, I, I think we need to remember out of this that Jesus um, takes what little we have to offer, and um, we might not think it is enough. But God multiplies it for what God wants to do with it, right? So first is that Jesus does invite us to serve the people, to feed people around us, right? And, and Christians throughout history have, um, have tried to do that, right? A lot of the significant social movements um, have come out of Christians trying to follow Jesus and, and serve um, one of my friends on staff, her husband is um, one of the leaders of the Bowery Street Mission in New York City, and it's one of the historical um, places that they serve, uh, have been serving the homeless for over 100 years, I think. Um, and so that came out of a Christian movement. So there's like literal feeding of people, right? But also spiritual feeding of people um, that Jesus invites us into. And, and I think we could all quickly recognize as you think about people in your life, uh, maybe your own family, um, your school, your classmates, your workplace, um, your community, like, that there's a lot of needs. Um, there's a lot of possible places that Jesus couldn't be inviting us to serve. Um, and that Jesus takes what little we have and multiplies it. Um, the disciples were taking risks, right? They just followed step by step. Jesus asked them to sit the people down for food, so they are like, Okay, we'll do that. I mean, I don't know what their hearts were like, right? Like, remember, they just came back from a mission trip. They were probably like, I want to sit down, right? I don't know. But um, I'm just projecting maybe my own discipleness sometimes. Um, but they didn't know where the food was going to come from. They had to trust that Jesus would supply. Um, at the same time, they're hungry, right? They've been, they've been traveling, and they haven't had time to eat, this text tells us. So can you imagine as they start giving the food to the, to the different groups of 50s and 100s that as they carry their little basket, they're realizing like, oh, you know, at the beginning, they're probably pretty stressed. They're like, okay, this is what I got. Like, and then as the miracle happens, they're like, oh, wow, there's a lot. And, you know, they're like, oh, okay, I'm going to have some bread too as they're carrying it, right? Oh, I'm going to have some fish too. 
Like, that there's a, and the scripture tells us at the end that all were fed, right? And so all were fed includes those disciples, right? Includes the disciples. Um, that, and then there were 12 baskets of leftovers. I mean, that's, that's really awesome. And they know because they saved the leftovers, which, you know, I appreciate in the passage. Um, yeah, the disciples got to eat too. All were filled. So Jesus here is creating a feast, a feast that is not, you know, not like the kind of feast that we go to where there's servers sometimes. Right? If you've been to like, um, you know, like a, a conference where there's like a, 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 a hotel dining room or whatever and people come and serve you, those people don't, don't eat with you. They're just, they're serving. That's not the kind of banquet that, that God runs. That's not the kind of banquet that Jesus is inviting people to. Um, in Jesus' banquet, um, those who are serving are also fed. Um, so maybe you don't feel like you have much to offer Jesus in serving others. But knowing that Jesus takes what little you have when you give it to him to see him grow it so that you can feed, feed others. Can you imagine the little boy giving his lunch? Like, um, he didn't know if he would get it back. You know, I wonder, right? I'm, I wonder, like, you know, if it was an Asian kid, might be like, oh, man, my parents are going to be so mad that I gave my lunch away, right? Like, I'm not supposed to do that. But he gets fed too, right? Um, there is, um, but to say trusting that Jesus is the one who multiplies. So a few examples for us to think about. Um, I've been thinking a lot about um, the city of Hong Kong. It's actually where my uh, parents are from. Uh, a lot of my extended family still lives there. And if you've been watching the news, there's been a lot of conflict there, um, a lot of turmoil with protests, with the government, p- police brutality, um, and a lot of different things. And some of the protests actually started out of um, some of the Christians. Like at the very beginning of the protest movement, um, Sing Alleluia to the Lord was a song that they were singing a lot. Um, partly because there's an exemption for religious gatherings in Hong Kong um, so they could gather people, but also, I think, as a way of nonviolent protest. Um, now, over the months, the government has cracked down more and more, so there's been more violence um, and more police brutality. And the church in Hong Kong is really wrestling with, like, how do we respond to this? Right? Some are protesters. Some are trying to be peacemakers and peacekeepers. There's folks, I was just reading about a pastor who feels like his call with his congregation is to go and help uh, aid those who are injured. So they, like, bring um, saline to wash out people's eyes after they've been tear gassed or um, have even protected police when other people have been beating, have, have like, found a policeman by themselves and tried to beat them. And um, there's some pastors who've, like, some of the students, um, so InterVarsity is a sister movement of about 145 other student movements. This is one of my favorite things about InterVarsity, is that um, we're sister movements with 145 other movements, uh, give or take, um, in different countries. So Hong Kong has the Fellowship of Evangelical Students. There's movements basically all over the world. And we're learning a lot. I'm learning a lot from them. So the student groups in Hong Kong actually have hosted, like, gatherings for, like, police or family of police members as well as protesters to like engage and dialogue together which is really intense um but one of my friends is pretty close with the campus ministers there and she was talking with them and she was sharing with me one of the things that um they are praying because i was asking like how are they engaging with us it's a very complex political challenge so how are they engaging with this and 
And she was saying that, you know, it seems like this staff worker and their students and the church they're part of, they're really praying for um, their own transformation in this, right? They're not necessarily praying for victory um, in a particular way, honestly, because communist China is like quite a power, right? Like it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, trying to stand up to, to just the huge power. So there's a little bit maybe of not fatalism, but like realism. But what I really struck me is they're saying we're praying for our own transformation um, and just a sense of, and we're doing what little we feel like God has invited us to. So they're bringing their loaves and fish. They're bringing their saline. They're bringing their own bodies to try and step in the middle of um, this conflict, these, some of these conflicts. And they know they might get hurt, right, or they might get arrested or some of these things, but they're trying to trust God um, that even their small two lo- five loaves and two fish, um, yeah, might, might be multiplied. Who knows, right? There's actually historical precedent for that. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar, but in the Philippines in the 80s, there was a movement around Etsa where basically the church came together, the Catholic and evangelical churches came together in a nonviolent movement, and um, you know it was a, like a nonviolent overthrow of the government, um, which was really intense. There was like a standoff with military leaders and tanks and and everything like that. But um, you know the church in the Philippines really credits that to God's work. Um, so in some ways, the, the folks in Hong Kong are sort of like, hey, we never know. Like, we don't know what might happen. That's an example, like a, a meta example maybe, a, a big example, but I hope you're hearing like these pastors, these lay people, they're making small, maybe what we might consider small because it's individual, but um, choices together with their community to try, even in the face of like dramatic opposition. Um, I want to tell you about my friend Taye, who was a student leader I got to work with in university. Um, I think we have a picture of him. And he's an engineer. Um, he's an engin- he was an engineer in school and spent a summer working overseas uh, at Proximity Designs in Myanmar. So Taye is multiracial, uh, Japanese and white, uh, grew up in Tokyo, came to college in California and doing some engineering work and was in Myanmar where they design and deliver affordable products that rural farmers and workers in Myanmar can then use to grow their income. So stuff like irrigation. Um, There's not a lot of electricity in rural Myanmar. So they developed foot pumps. Um, They developed ways that portable water tanks or drip irrigation, because basically the farmers were spending all their time, as you can imagine, getting water from the well to the field. And so when they're able to do that, they're able to get out of the level of subsistence farming. Um, So he did that one summer. He came on stif- with staff with university for a couple of years he, um, and, and invested in the lives of students, but kept in touch and worked through his mechanical engineering program to uh, be an advisor to the lab um, that he had worked at and um, helped recruit students to go be in Myanmar. And, you know, I think it was like two years in, he was like, hey, I know I committed to like three or four years, but I feel like God's calling me to Myanmar, like, is that okay? And, I was like, Taye, yes, I totally am excited about that. Like, yeah, I, I totally get that God's called you. Um, and so he moved to Myanmar to work full time uh, for, for the, that, uh, that group um, and, you know, led some Bible studies for expats there, developed a lot of um, farming things, farming technology as a mechanical engineer. Um, I heard from him again recently, he had gotten married to a woman that he met over there, Samara, Samar, I think, um, and um, 
he was like, yeah, we're seeking God about what's next. Would you pray for us? I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to pray for you. And they, I just heard from them recently, they're moving now to Kigali, Rwanda, um, because he's joining a different startup there called Ampersand that makes electric motorcycles. So they're trying to help solve problems in these parts of the world that, like, he's like, well, this is my five loaves and two fish. Like, God's gifted me in mechanical engineering, and I'm just going to try and take these things and let God have the impact. Um, yeah, I just am really encouraged by him and his story. Um, something, like, way more local, I would say, from my life um, uh, as you know, we have kids, and Dory just started school this fall, so we're learning a little bit about what it's like to be a family connected to a school. She loves school. It's called Watts, Watts Elementary. And um, I've been learning from some of my friends who are also parents that have kids in school that, you know, when you send your kids to school as a believer, like, our invitation is to be a light at the school, to help out, to, like, serve others. And so I have friends who are, like, running the PTA at their kid's school or, like, like have significant leadership positions. Um, partly they feel like, you know, uh, some of them are intervarsity staff and they're like, well, we get all these leadership development tools and skills that we could really gift to the PTA. And I'm like, wow, well, that sounds hard because I don't feel like I have, I mean, I'm, I'm struggling to even make it to a PTA meeting, <laughs> right? Much less like think about, and we, and we just moved to Raleigh-Durham. We moved from Berkeley, California to Raleigh-Durham just this spring. So like adjusting, like figuring things out. So I'm like, wow, that, that sounds really hard. I don't, I don't have that PTA. And I'm like, wow. Early fall that God was saying like, no, but what can you do? What can be your five loaves and two fish? Or like one loaf or one fish, you know, like, or one, one bow. Like, sometimes I like to think of the loaves as bow, like a chasu bow or um, something like that. Um, and I was like, well, the class, there's like, if y'all don't know, there's class parents, like, for all the different classes. The class parent had emailed about an opportunity to, like, on Friday morning, one hour, help the kids choose some books. And they, the kids all come out, choose some books, and, um, and go back in. And I was like, oh, that, that doesn't sound very fun. <laughs> And I'm kind of tired, but I felt like, well, maybe that's like one, one, um, one thing I can do. And I felt like God gave me more vision for, oh, you know, when the kids, getting to talk with the kids, I can pray for the kid as they're choosing their books. Like, that might just be a very small, like, I, I, you know, it's not like I'm, like, able to give a lot of hours right now to, like, helping with the class or anything, but, like, what is my, my what is my small loaf and fish? Um, and... I don't know. I'm trusting God. Like, yeah, I don't know anything. I don't know much about the kids. Um, I mean, it's fun to get to see Dory in her class and like, and stuff like that. But um, realizing, like, no, I can pray for these kids. I pray for their teachers. Um, that's been a way I feel like God has helped open my eyes to see, um, to see needs around me. For unlocked folks, we talked about like things that keep us from being able to see that. Um, I think for me, sometimes being like sending my first kid to school, it's like okay, how's this going to go? Like, is this going to be a good situation? Like, every, like, I think I felt very, like, anxious or defensive, like, on the lookout. But God's really been changing and trying to open my heart to, like, okay, what are we, how can we love? How can we love this place and serve this place as well? Um, last thing that is actually not on your outline, but just want to invite you to be considering, because I think um, for a lot of us Asian Americans from different backgrounds, um, serving 
can come kind of naturally to us. Like, it's like, it's like, we know, that's what we do. You're part of a family, you serve. I mean, we tell our kids a lot. You're part of the family, take your dishes over. You know, like, that's just, that's just the way it is, right? So sometimes we enter God's kingdom, enter the church, and we get that. Like, like we know what that's like. So I'm not necessarily worried about that. Um, what I think the message for us um, and the Asian American church is that um, God wants us to participate in the feast, even as we serve. Right, so like I was saying, Jesus, uh, Jesus gives, Jesus throws parties, Jesus gives banquets that that the servers are part of the party, right? So it's not like a, I serve you and put everything down. I don't know if y'all have ever worked um, service industry, but like you, you, you have to be very careful and everything, and then you go in the back, and if you do eat, it's on your break in the back, right, kind of thing. That's not the kind of parties that Jesus throws. Jesus throws a banquet where those who are serving, who are invited to serve and, and feed others, um, they get to eat as well. Um, and I think those two things are connected. When we remember that our, um, our small gift is going to be multiplied by Jesus, that frees us up to eat as well, right? Otherwise, it's like, oh, there's only a little bit. I better save some for everybody else, right? Like, let others eat first. No, 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 this is a party where everybody eats together. I don't know what that looks like for you. Um, I don't know the communities that Jesus has called you to or the places. Um, I don't know what your group of 50 or 100, or maybe it's more like your group of 10 or 5 or 2 is. Um, but I do know that God wants to invite you to feast as you serve this community. Um, so as, as we're heading into close, I, I, I want to say that... Um, it's not on the outline, but you can write it in. How might Jesus be inviting you to feast as you follow God and you serve? Um, like I was telling uh, the group last night, um, I can't guarantee that following Jesus is easy, right? That's what we learned from the John the Baptist piece. Like, it's not always easy. Um, but I can guarantee that there's a feast, right? There's a feast that God wants to give us. Um, for me, a very practical thing um, in remembering to feast, has been praying for joy um, in dependence on the Lord. So um, even as I came in to, to speak at Unlocked, that's the thing when people ask me what to pray for. I was like, well, pray for the Holy Spirit to move and pray for my joy in dependence on the Lord. Um, and that's because for me, I know that I actually struggle with joy. I struggle with burnout. I struggle with like feeling like it all depends on me. So um, joy in dependence on the Lord. It's been a very... Um, sort of simple, but very practical way. So even um, when I remember, in a good, there's days I don't remember, but on, on, on most days lately, I'm trying to remember, like, as my feet hit the floor, to pray for joy, independence on the Lord. Um, because, you know, I, I'm not a morning person. Uh, it's hard, and sometimes I can wake up in the morning and already be thinking about, like, oh, I gotta have this meeting, I gotta have this meeting, I gotta respond to that email. Uh, does we need to do laundry, like, or whatever. Um, things are running through my head, but praying for joy and dependence on the Lord has been a very practical way for me um, to remember to feast. And it's not that God doesn't want to give me joy. It's not like I have to remind God, hey, don't forget to give me joy, right? It, that prayer is actually reorienting me, Right, it actually opens my heart to the joy that God already already has for me. But so the problem isn't necessarily that God might forget to give me joy; it's that 
I am like not aware or like not able to receive. So that's a very simple, um, simple way that God has really been speaking to me. Um, yeah, so Jesus invited the disciples and invites us to feed and serve the people. Uh, the disciples and we get to see multiplication of the offering. That's one of the really fun things about serving and trying and taking risks is often we get to be front row to a miracle. Can you imagine the disciples? There's a reason why they talked about it in all four Gospels. They, it was like really memorable, right? Um, it's also um, an image of the Eucharist, of communion, right? Jesus says those same words, um, took the bread, uh, blessed it, and broke it. That's the same words he uses in Mark um, to give the disciples communion. So there's, there's something about serving in this way that um, draws on the power of Christ and Christ's sacrifice for us, Christ welcoming us into this new family, um, his raising from the dead. Um, and then because of Jesus' work, uh, the multiplication, because of Jesus' work on the cross, all, including the disciples, are fed. Um, and so as we close up, I just want to take a moment um, quietly in your seats. Um, take a moment just to listen. We're just going to have a moment of silence for us to listen. Um, so one, let's ask Jesus for um, a reminder right now of a particular person or um, community or a cause, something that, you, that maybe God, maybe it's a, something you already know, like maybe it's really instant, you already know, um, but maybe it's something new God wants to show you, a place where God's inviting you to, um, to serve and feed people. Let's listen for a moment. We can have the worship team come up as well. And for that person or that community or that relationship or that um, cause or passion of yours, would you just ask God, like, what does it look like for me to depend on you more? Um, what does it look like for me to come to you uh, and give you my lunch on this one? Jesus, we invite you to speak. Spirit, we invite you to speak in this place. And just ask God right now too, how might Jesus be inviting you to feast as you serve this community? And if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian yet, maybe just ask God, how are you inviting me to the feast? What, is that, what does that sound like right now? How are you inviting me to the feast? What's keeping you from the feast? Maybe ask God about that. who um, you're hearing from God a way that Jesus is inviting you to feast as you follow and serve. Um, also, if there's a way you need to repent um, from anything as you've tried to serve and live out, live out God's call, take time to do that as well.
would you ask God to help you um, help you to feast in the way that he showed you maybe it's an old practice maybe it's a new practice maybe it's praying for joy um, like I was talking about ask God to help you with that and remind you of that today, tomorrow, this week just ask God for that identify as a Christian, I'd invite you also to pray for God to show you God's joy. I believe God wants to give you joy. Would you open your heart to that? So God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you, um, you see the needs around us and you invite us to participate with you that we get to be front row to a miracle that we get to um, serve alongside of you you could have done it yourself you could have just poof there's food everywhere but you invited the disciples to serve and there was joy in that and they were, they were also fed so God thank you for feeding us thank you for serving us um, help us to remember um, to feast as well and I just want to bless this community, this group, God, with joy. Um, we invite more of your joy for each of us, God. And I pray that especially for my friends here who don't, um, who haven't yet said yes to you, God, that you would, um, you would reveal more of your joy of, uh, and delight in them, um, and that they would undeniably know that it's from you. And uh, yeah, God, for um, those of us who are. Um, continuing to try and take steps to follow you, God, we invite more of your joy and your delight um, in us. Thanks that you provide an abundant feast, an abundant banquet, and that you throw great parties. We look forward to the heavenly party, um, and God, thank you for the opportunity to serve alongside you until then. Thank you, God. We love you, and we trust you. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.